0: We are now going to, today, obviously, if you see here, we're going to be doing communion, and um, so we're not going to be in John 14, but this is, because we're talking about communion, we're talking about what is exactly happening in John 14. It's the Last Supper. Jesus is teaching, and so we're going to be talking about the, the, the bread and the cup, and what are the meanings, What's what's behind that, what does it mean to us, why do we do this? This is this is very important for us to, uh, to understand. So I want to read a passage to you. This is 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29. And the Apostle Paul is writing about this very thing, the Lord's Supper. He says, for I received from the Lord that what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. So that's John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, that right there. On the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine themselves then. Examine yourself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself or herself. All right. So Paul's laying out this idea of what this is about. He's laying out the point, the purpose, things that we should be doing. But I wanted to start, I, I came across this quite a few years ago, but I thought it was a fun little story. It, 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 uh, I, my understanding is that it's true but it's about a young couple that had just gotten married. And so the, the, the wife and the husband were kind of getting ready to make dinner together. And so she said, I'm going to make a pot roast. And he says, oh, I love pot roast. And so she gets this big piece of, you know, the meat for the pot roast. And she cuts the ends off, like squares it up. And he's, he is, rightly so, horrified. He says, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're cutting off the edges, the ends. That's the best part of a pot roast. Everyone knows that. What do you think you're doing? Their first fight, Mm, right? And she's like, my mother did this. My grandmother did this. This makes it taste better. We always cut the edges and the ends off. It will taste better when it's done. And he said, no one does that. And he gets his phone out. And he calls her mother, and he says, do you really cut the ends and the edges off of a pot roast before you cook it, thinking that it makes it taste better? And she said, oh, yes, always do that. My mother always did that. We cut them off, and it makes it taste better. And he's just amazed, right, just amazed. So he calls the grandmother, and he says, Nana, why what in the world is going on here cutting the edges and the ends off to make it taste better and she says oh I don't know if it makes it taste better I just had a small pot (laughs) you know sometimes we have these habits sometimes we do things without knowing why we do them kind of like traditions oftentimes just unthinking and one of the reasons why we stop and do this is because we have, a, we have a tradition, and I don't want it to be unthinking. I don't want us to know not know why we do this, not understand fully what's going on here. And so that's the problem oftentimes in, with Christians. We get into the traditions, we don't understand what's the point. We don't understand what it came from. We just do it because, you know, how many times have you heard this? I've heard it in the past in other places. We've always done it that way. We've always done it that way. Therefore, it's biblical. That's not true. It's not therefore it's biblical. Here's something, we have always done this this way because it's commanded, it's biblical. So we have a tradition that we need to understand and not just go through mindlessly, not just recite things by, by rote because certain traditions can become can be incredibly important. So what does it mean to us today when we talk about the body of the Lord and the blood of the Lord, symbolized by the fruit and the vine, the fruit of the vine, and, and, and bread? Well, just remember, we're in John right now. Where, what's happening? They're in the upper room. They're, they're having this meal. Jesus is teaching. He's got, he's got these people around him that he's teaching, that he's poured his life into, and he knows it's the end. So he's thinking, what's the most important things for them right now? Because this is the end. What do you do? What do you want to communicate? What do you want someone to remember you by if that happens? What are the special words you would think of? And Jesus is thinking about this. He's about to go to the cross. He's with the people that he loves the most. And so he does something this incredibly special. He tells them, this is my body, which is broken for you. Because he knew what was coming. That's more than just a line. He's thinking about what's coming. Imagine that. I mean, it's just hard for us to wrap our mind around that sometimes. He knows he's about to die. And so he's teaching based on the death that is coming. This is my body. This cup. It's the new covenant in my blood. This is what communion is. The word communion, we say communion, it comes from a Greek word. It comes from the Greek word koinonia, which means a participation. It means a sharing. It means a common union. We sometimes call it, uh, translated as fellowship, but it's, it's this idea of participation. It's the idea of sharing. It's an idea of a commonality between a group of people. So communion is literally participating, sharing with each other and with Jesus by faith in his death, his burial, and the good news of his resurrection. It's a participation. That's why we do it. We just don't think about it or talk about it. We do it. We participate together. That's koinonia. That's communion because we have this common experience. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, this is a common experience for us. And you know, common experiences can be powerful in in, uh, understanding people, understanding one another. Things that we, 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 we experience in common. Sometimes things that are difficult, sometimes things that are not so difficult. But whenever we have a common experience, we can relate with each other. Let me give an example. You're at dinner. Let's say there's a large group of you at a restaurant. And you notice the person, not straight across, but diagonally across has a green thing right there in their tooth, right there. And have you ever noticed when you see that, you just like, and you just, you look at it and you look away. And you look, oh, it's still there, crap. Oh, we're saying crap a lot today. Um, um, it's just, uh, it's the word of the day, I don't know. So, so what do you do? So what do you do? I, I mean, I, I hate confrontation. I know how I react sometimes. You know, you know that everyone else sees it. This person is laughing and talking to everyone. And so you just see all these people going, oh, looking around. And who's going to say to that person, hey, ye, ye, ugly, right here, that looks bad. Who's going to do that? Not me. Not me. I'm too nervous to do that. I'm too scared to do that. But that's what everyone else is thinking, right? Have you ever been in that situation where you just go, somebody say something, there's something right there, and the person is smiling and talking, and so you, I can't look at that. And then the person who's smiling and talking goes, "Why do people not look me in the face anymore? What has happened here?" You know And you want someone to say something, but you don't want to be the one that has to say something, but you know that the longer this goes on, you're, gonna, you're not going to say anything, because the person's going to finally say, "How long was it there?" Right?" How long was it there? Not so long ago, I was getting ready to do a wedding, and we had eaten about an hour before, and somebody, a very kind person from this church, was walking in, getting ready for the wedding, and stopped and said, hey, Bob, right there. And I was like, thank you. Went in the bathroom, made sure I got my teeth clean, and then I thought, it's been an hour since I ate. I want to speak to the people who wouldn't say anything to me that talked to me and smiled nicely and just moved on and went, boy, that looks terrible, you know? So what happens? So what's, we, we, we get in that kind of a situation. And right now, you, you understand that. That's a common experience. You may be smiling about that common experience. You might be feeling it's a painful experience, right? You don't like that. But that's an easy one. There's other areas where we have common experiences that are hard, like losing a loved one. There's a commonality in that, losing someone you deeply love. Things like going through cancer. You meet someone else, there's a commonality in that, a bond. Today, communion, believers all over the world for 2,000 years are doing this, just what we're about to do. In, In verse 16 he says, it's not the cup of thanksgiving, for which we give thanks, a participation in the blood of Christ, and is not the bread that we break, a participation, a commonality in the body of Christ. The whole body of Christ does this. It's a kononia. It's three, it's, it's, it's three things, I think, here that we need to, to just remember. And I've mentioned these before, so this is not brand new. The first thing is that's important about this is we have, there's an examination. We examine in 1 Corinthians 11, he says a man or a woman ought to examine themselves before he eats the bread or drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats or and drinks judgment on themselves. There's an examination. There's a stopping and a saying, an honest appraisal. What am I struggling with? What am I dealing with? David, I think, I, I think about this, these two verses all the time in my life. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way or any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David says, I know what kind of person I am, God. Look at me. Tell me what I need to repent of. Tell me what I need to do. This is a part of that examining. And David gives us a good idea of what that looks like. I recognize I need to do this. I need to do this, personally me, because I can get caught up in the trappings of being a pastor and the expectations of being a pastor and not be honest in my walk for fear of what others will think of me. It's easy to do. I can be a full-time pastor and sometimes just a part-time Christian. And not just me. Every one of us can struggle with this. You might be a full-time business person and a part-time Christian. You might be a full-time student, a part-time follower of Christ. You might be a full-time mom or a full-time dad and be a part-time follower of Christ. So what do you see when you stop and examine? You look within yourself. This is key for us. For some, it might be, wow, I've really messed up. I'm really struggling right now. So today, let communion be an act of repentance as you see the blood that was shed for you and for your sins. Some of you, it may be things are going great right now. Man, life is good. I see God working. Then let this be an act of worship. Worshiping the one who's working so mightily in your life. For some, you might be deeply hurting right now and you don't know what to do. This is a desperate time where you feel like all you can do is cling to God and hope that he does something. And today emphasizes to you that he is with you and he suffers alongside you. He knows how it feels. So we examine, we look at ourselves. We have an honest look. And sometimes that takes a little time. It's not something you do just like that. The second thing is we remember. There's a lot of remembering in the Bible. It's a theme that runs from beginning to end. In the Old Testament, God would call his people to build altars out of stone so that they would remember. He instructed them to tie the law on a string and bind it around their wrists and put it on their doorposts so they would remember. Over and over, remember, remember, remember. And in the Bible, remembering is more than just recalling certain information. When you remember something, if you do it right, what was once real becomes real again. It becomes present. You are changed by it. You are remembering, pulling it back together in your life. When, uh, when I was in college, and 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 I was I was, you know, dating what little bit of dating, I was able to do. <laughs> I remember asking my parents one time, "What was it like for you, when you were dating? What did you love?" To do. And um, and they said, oh, we went dancing. We went dancing, and I said, really? And my my dad said, yeah, let me show you. And he went over and he put on the something on the record player. He pulled out an old album. It was a Duke Ellington album, I think. And 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 he says it's like this, and they they started dancing. It's a weird thing to watch your parents dance. I mean, I understand now, like, sometimes I'll kiss my wife, and my kids like, oh, this is gross, you know. Old people can't do that. And, and so my parents, I mean, they started dancing. I mean, it's a weird thing to see your mother do this, right? That's a weird thing. That's a little crazy. And they start doing the jitterbug, right? And then he puts on this other album, and, they, and, then, and suddenly they start slow dancing. And I'm watching this, thinking, this is so cool, my parents. And then they started whispering in each other's ear and giggling. And I was, then I was like, okay, I got it. <laughs> no more. I know what's coming next. Don't you kiss her. You know, I, it, they, what happened? It, it, was, it was weird. It was like they were transformed. They became young again, and they remembered. They relived something. And it was a kind of a cool, powerful thing to see. The Bible says, remember, 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 put that old album back on the record player. Listen, I know I've lost a lot of people as soon as I mentioned record player. Put that back on the CD. No, a CD is a little plastic thing that has music on it and we can listen to it. I know, uh, man, I'm so old. So, but you put. Remember. Relive it. Relive what it was like, and and here's why. Because here's some scriptures. In Exodus chapter twelve, it's on the screen. It says, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Talking about, um, the, talking about the you know it, in Exodus says the. The, uh, as they had the lamb and the blood on the doorposts and all of that. What does the ceremony mean to you? Then you tell them this, and it, and it goes through what you tell them. Why? Because you're remembering it for your children. In, in, in uh, Joshua 4.21, he said to the Israelites, in the future, your descendants will ask their parents, what do these stones mean? You tell them, right? He's saying, when they cross the Jordan River, he said, I want you to take 12 stones and build an altar as, as a remembrance. And we sang, I lift my Ebenezer. That's the altar. Ebenezer is an old word for the altar that was raised to remember. And he says, you're going to walk along here, right, with your grandkids. I'm going to have Caleb and Lyndon in my hands. And they go, pops, what are those stones doing? Well, let me tell you what those stones. We were on the other side of the river. How did we get across? God made a way. It was miraculous. And we came across. So we built this to remember that. That's it. That's remembering. That's why that's so important, because it hits me. Did Jesus think the disciples were going to forget him? You know, like a year or two later, what was that guy's name? No, no. Not like that. But, you know, it is kind of true how easily we can forget Jesus. It's exactly our problem. I think I forget that I'm forgiven and I let myself become overburdened with guilt. I need to remember. I forget that I'm called to be a servant and I work hard at getting my own way. I need to remember. I forget that I'm part of a family of brothers and sisters and yet sometimes I ignore the needs of those very brothers and sisters. I forget, I forget, I forget. And Jesus is saying, remember, remember, remember. Do this in remembrance to me. Why do we do this? Because it takes us to the cross. It takes us to the cross. It humbles us and lifts us up at the same time. It humbles us because he had to deal with my sins. I read a quote the other day. I was reading in a book, and he quoted Franz Kafka, who said, don't, I don't believe in sin or guilt, and yet something is wrong with us. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in sin. He doesn't believe in guilt, but he knows he can't deny deep down inside. There's something fatally wrong with me. There's something wrong. And that's our point. Jesus paid for something. So it humbles us that that had to happen. It lifts us up because I might feel worthless, but Jesus says you are worth dying for. So we remember. And then we proclaim. He said, for whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This, there's this proclamation. It's kind of a twofold thing. It flows out of the previous points, this idea of examining, this, you know, this idea of remembering. Flowing out of that, he says, you're making a declaration, a proclamation. It has this idea, the way it's framed in the Greek, is that it can't be held back. It's not something that you go, well, maybe else. It's You have to say it. You know, it's like in those days when Caesar would institute a new law, he would send heralds to all the cities, and they would go into the main part of the city, and they would read this law out loud. They would post it. They'd read it in other places. They'd go everywhere and read it. They were the heralds of, of the king. They were the heralds of Caesar, and they made proclamations. They proclaimed it to everyone. So here we're making a proclamation to everyone. And the proclamation is, I'm different now. I'm a different person because of Jesus, because of what he's done. It's not just something you say, you know. I love the office. At one point when Michael Scott was in serious financial trouble, he's getting helped, and they're saying, you may have to declare bankruptcy, and that just, and some of you are smiling right now. I know, I know, because it's it's an iconic scene. And he goes, i What I have to do is declare bankruptcy? Yes. So he walks out the door and goes, I declare bankruptcy. (laughs) That's good, right? And they're like, no, it's a little more than that. It's a little more than that. It's not just us saying it. It's us, we say now I'm gonna live differently because of this. It's a life declaration. He died for me and I'm making public who I am. This is the core of me. I'm a follower of Christ. This is not a popular, it wasn't a popular move then, and it's not a popular move now. And there are often consequences. What do I do at work if I realize the people I work for are doing something that is unethical? Where does my core go then? Where does my core take a stand then? What do I do if I've harmed others and I need to make it right? What will I do? What do I do if someone has harmed me? What will my response be? What do I do with the time God has given me? What do I do with the possessions God has given me? What do I do with the family God has given me? What do I do with the money God has given me? This is, these are the kind of things, these are the kind of things that your declaration addresses those issues. I'm a follower of Christ. This is my identity now. This is who I am. So that's part of the other aspect in this proclamation. He says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It gives us this idea that there is something coming. Jesus then says, you know, in John 14, he says, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm preparing this home for you. There will be a time where you will go home. It will be done. All It will be over on this earth. And so the declaration says, this is who I am as I look forward to that day. I am a different person on this earth because of what's coming. Remember, we talked about that before. The destination shapes the journey. It's nice to say, oh, just enjoy the journey. But let me tell you something. If you're on a journey with no destination, you never know when you've arrived, right? You never know when it is technically over. It's usually over when you just run out of gas. you just, "Ah, I'm tired of this. The destination shapes the journey. And we have to sometimes stop and and sit, and quietly examine ourselves. This is what he's telling us to do. And the last thing I want to say is, this has been going on for 2,000 years. We don't know a lot of things, exactly how the early church worked, but we know one thing that they did exactly. They did just this. They did the fruit of the vine, they did bread and they celebrated according to how Paul wrote it out. It's been going on for 2,000 years. It happened in all sorts of ways. Just recently, um, I I love the archeology span stuff. I love the history stuff. Just recently, just, just about a month and a half ago in Asia Minor, Turkey, they discovered, they, they know there's, there's these underground areas, oftentimes that were used as refuge uh, for sometimes criminals, but oftentimes for Christians. When the persecutions would come, they'd go into these caves that you could dig out there. The, the limestone's easy to work with. Some of them were huge caves. Well, they found one now that, that goes down into a mountain, and they estimate that seventy to 100,000 people lived underground there. It's Huge. It's like 15 square miles underground. They're just beginning to explore all of it. But one of the first things they came to was a church underground. So they knew then this, this is a refuge that Christians used. And they would go underground, and they would start living their lives underground to try to escape the persecution that was uh, oftentimes incredibly violent and uh Horrific, and they celebrated communion just like this. When their lives were at risk, they celebrated communion. When our lives are not at risk, we celebrate communion. Why? Because we're making a declaration. We're stopping to examine ourselves. We're remembering something that affects our lives to this very day, and we're making a declaration can you imagine? Because, I mean, here's the thing. Making a declaration here is one thing. Making a declaration in an underground city where you know above ground there are Roman soldiers who are hunting Christians, that's a whole nother thing, to openly declare. Because not everybody who went underground were Christians. And so to get up and say, this is who I am, I declare it right now. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ in life or in death. It meant something. It meant something to them. And so we're saying the same thing. We're doing the same thing. And we're gonna do it right now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the union we have in you. I thank you for so many of us, our identity. We have to wrestle with it from time to time, but our identity is in you. You have given us new desires. You have given us new abilities, the ability to say no to sin. You're conforming us. We get to rest in your righteousness. And I thank you how you've blessed us with spiritual blessing from heavenly places. I pray that over the course of the next few minutes here, we would remember the things that we're prone to forget, not as intellectual facts, but we'd recall, and you would open our eyes and soften our hearts And we remember when you shifted our allegiance from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And we would look and trust in the blood of the new covenant and be reminded that although we're prone to drift, we can confess and come clean. You will welcome us with open arms. And I pray that you would realign our hopes in you, toward you, so that we would place them in the proper place. Increase our depth. Help us walk in the sacred right now. Let us yearn for and desire quiet spaces and places to consider you and your goodness and your grace for us. We thank you for this communion and its opportunity to quietly reflect on you and your goodness. In the name of the one who made it possible, Jesus, we pray. Amen.